grateful for the opportunity to be here with you today to talk about God's Word. I've been studying some things about, to be honest with you, a word that I made up, biblical studentship. I had that word circulating through my mind for a while. I've been studying a lot about wisdom and the proper way to approach biblical wisdom and how to become a student of the Word. And the word studentship just kept coming into my mind over and over again, and I just assumed it was a real word. Uh, It is a real word, but it doesn't mean what I am trying to communicate to you that it means. But what I'm trying to get across by studentship is the state of being that particular thing. You might think of a discipleship, the state of being disciplined. So studentship is the state of always being a student of something. So biblical studentship I want to talk about tonight is the idea that we are always trying to learn, we're always trying to grow, we're always trying to get better in our knowledge of the Word of God, to grow in our wisdom and our application of the Word of God. And with that, I came up with this thesis statement or a purpose statement, if you will, and that's cultivating a love for God's Word with righteous motive and understanding the importance of meditation and the blessings of godly wisdom. I know that's a lot, but we're going to try and get through all that tonight. Uh, And the godly wisdom, the blessings of that, that's pretty much an ongoing theme. But if you want three points to gain out of the lesson tonight, it's basically going to be cultivating a love for that word in your studentship, having a righteous motive of pursuing that wisdom, and understanding the importance of meditation that it plays in growing in biblical wisdom or in studentship. All of it starts with getting wisdom. It's not a passive thing growing in the Word of God. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. You know, I don't get things, I don't go and seek and get things uh, that just show up on my doorstep. That comes to me. If I want to get something, I have to play an active role in going out to get it. If I want wisdom, I need to do things to get out and get it. I need to study, I need to meditate, I need to pray. There are certain roles that we need to play in our getting of wisdom. There's a price that's demanded for wisdom. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 through 15 says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things that thou canst desire are not to be compared to her. You know, I've talked to some teachers about the things that they appreciate most in students. The simple, usual answer is, I love students who work hard, who pay attention, who take the job seriously. They love those things in students. And that's what God wants out of you and I as students of the Word. He wants us to work hard. He wants us to listen. He wants us to be attentive. And He wants us to understand the severity of the purpose of growing in the Word of God. He wants us to take it seriously and get wisdom. But something I want to notice here in Proverbs chapter 3 that was just an interesting thing that jumped off the page to me is notice how he compares the merchandise of wisdom to the merchandise of silver. I thought a lot about this phrase right here where it says the merchandise of it, that is wisdom, is better than the merchandise of silver. Those two words merchandise are translated to be a a price that you would pay, something that you could give to get something else, or a profit from something, and the second word merchandise is translated to be somewhat of a marketplace or a place that you would do commerce and that you would exchange goods back and forth. What he's basically saying is that what wisdom affords you, what wisdom is to you, the blessing of wisdom to you is better than anything that silver and riches could ever purchase for you in life. 
It is far above anything else. And then at the end of the passage, he says, all things that you can desire are not to be compared to her. You know, I think about somebody standing right in front of me, and in one hand, they're holding a bag full of money, and in the other hand, they're holding the word of God, and they're asking me to make a choice. And somebody might say, well, I need to weigh the pros and cons. What Solomon is saying here is there are no pros and cons. There is no pros and cons between biblical wisdom and the riches of the world. Nothing that you could desire could be greater than wisdom to be given to you from God and his word. Because if you pursue biblical wisdom properly, you're going to be rewarded with things that you could never even imagine. Good things, things that are godly, things that are spiritual, and things that will last for eternity. So I'd like for us to consider some of those things about biblical studentship. Just to recap, number one, cultivating a desire for godly wisdom. Number two, pursuing wisdom with a godly motive. And finally, the importance of meditation as it plays a role in our studentship. So the first thing is cultivating a godly, or cultivating a desire for godly wisdom. Read with me in Matthew chapter 13, verse 9 through 14. It says, He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou to them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him it shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, for him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Focusing in on verse 9 there, I think this passage can teach you and I a lot about desire. I was studying this passage not too long ago with somebody, and, and this has never been able to leave me right here. And I love the way that the King James puts this, he who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Basically what Jesus was saying is that there were people in the audience that had ears to hear. He wasn't saying just simply, if you have ears on, on your head, then listen to me. If you have ears to hear, if you want to hear these things, then listen. You know, you and me might look around in the world today and we might see people who have ears to hear. We might see people out in the world that truly want to understand and truly want to learn the word of God and we look at them and say, that's great. And we look in the body of Christ and we see people who are always studying and who are always learning and who are always growing in the knowledge of the word and we think that that's amazing, but you know, sometimes we might look at them and say, why don't I share that same passion? Why don't I share that same love? What's, what's missing? What, what have I done wrong? What, what's happened to me that I don't have that same desire? Well, I think there's some things that you and I can do to cultivate that love if it doesn't come naturally to you. Because just to be honest with you, I'm not thrilled to go home after a long day of work and just go through the book of Ecclesiastes or go through the book of Chronicles or go through any book of the Bible to glean knowledge out of it. It doesn't come naturally to me all the time. There are times when I may be more inclined to do that. So how do we cultivate a desire for wisdom? Well, the first thing that you might think about is sacrifices have to be made. Forgive me for using these analogies, but they're just what I know. So, you know, The Office, TV show that most of you probably know about, takes about 74 hours to watch. That's no bathroom breaks, start to finish, all the way through. Or roughly 37 nights of watching TV on an average amount of time that most of us would watch TV on any given day. The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire is, a, is an epic of literature that's roughly about 2,800 pages, and it would take you about 126 hours to read or 63 nights of reading an average amount of, let me backtrack, not an average amount of time, but reading about two hours a night. The average time spent viewing entertainment in the world as of 2021 due to a 
a poll that was taken, is roughly about four hours a day consuming entertainment from various entertainment mediums. And that combines uh, cable TV, if that's still a thing, satellite TV, um, radio or whatever, or different streaming services, YouTube, all the way down to social media, four hours a day roughly of doing those things. And I'm not saying that you have to go home and read The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that if we want to truly dedicate ourselves to biblical wisdom and biblical studentship, something has to give. We have to give up something. We have to give up some distractions and we have to take time to grow in that. So the cycle of cultivating love for God's word, I heard this from somebody else and I've tried to adopt it. I think it's a really interesting cycle of how it works and it's so simple, but it starts off with reading and surrounding yourself with the word of God. And then after that comes meditation on the word of God and conversing with other people about what you've read and what you've studied. And then finally, applying and obeying that word. And I believe going through that again and again on a consistent basis, whether it's you're all in and you're just completely reading every single day and you're searching deep truths or whether it's simply, hey, I read today and I found out that I need to have ears to hear. If it's just simple truths and repeating that again and again and again and eventually you develop that love for the word of God. So number one, reading the word and surrounding yourself with the wisdom of others. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And Psalms 119, 130 says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. You know, when you surround yourself with something, it's not long until you begin to love that particular thing or you grow a fondness of that particular thing. When we surround ourselves with the word of God, when we read it on a regular day, and when we converse with other people, or excuse me, when we surround ourselves with people who are wise in the word of God, we can feed off of that energy, and it can become something that we desire. We can delight in wisdom the longer that we're around that. You know, it's almost like raising a child. I've thought about this a little bit concerning my, my own son. You know, I just think about as he's growing up and the things that he learns. You know, the more you give a child what they want, the more they love you, right? Well, partially, right? You know, you can give them everything in the world and they might actually end up hating you for it. But if you give them everything that they need, everything that they truly need and everything that they truly need for a good, strong Christian life, there's a love that occurs there because of that because they see that they love you and that you want what's best for them. Not to jump too far ahead, but I want to touch, uh, touch for a moment on meditation and conversing about God's word. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, we'll recap this verse later on, but just quickly, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth, he shall prosper. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. I want you to notice what that man delights in. He delights in the law of the Lord. Why? Because he meditates on it day and night. 
First off, because he's not walking in the counsel of the ungodly, but also because he meditates on that word day and night. And he's going through that routine again and again and developing that love for the word of God. Discussing the word of God back and forth with folks, I can't tell you how much that means to me. To have people in in my life that I can talk to about words of life that I can converse back and forward with people about things that actually matter, about things that are eternal and things that are going to serve us the best in life. That's a valuable thing. If I haven't taken time to thank you for those conversations, I want to thank you right now because they mean more to me than you could ever know. Applying and obeying the truths that we have internalized. That's the final step of that cycle is applying and obeying. I've grown to really love Psalms 119. Psalms 119, 97 through 104. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me, and I have more understanding than all my teachers. For my testimonies are my medit- for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. There's something about seeing the fruits of of biblical wisdom in your life that produces a greater love for the word of God. There's something about seeing what you've studied and what you've read come to fruition in your own life. There's something about applying that and seeing the benefits from it that causes you to love that word. Not only because you see the benefits, but you see where you could have been without it. Proverbs 13, 15 says, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. So when we apply our feet to understanding, when we apply ourselves to what we've learned and what we've read, we not only see the benefits of how much better our life is because we have that biblical wisdom, but we also see the way things could have been at one point in time because we know that the way of the transgressor is hard. But we're not approaching it with the mindset of the, of the publican, or excuse me, of the, of the Pharisee in Luke 18, where he looks at the publican and says, you know, I, I thank God that I'm not like this person. But we're approaching it knowing that we could have been there. We could have been in that position. And the cycle repeats itself again and again and again. And eventually we develop that love for the word of God. And speaking of not getting the wrong attitude when it comes to what we've been blessed with, let's talk about pursuing wisdom with a godly motive. 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 through 2 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. You know, in your pursuit for wisdom, and this was earth-shattering to me the way it was said, and it, it may be a simple truth to you, but I really appreciate this. In your search for wisdom, you can actually become a fool. And that's such a, a, a turn of phrase right there, but it's true. If you search for wisdom the wrong way, if you go about it the wrong way with the wrong motives, then you could actually end up becoming a whole lot more foolish than you ever were before you ever pursued biblical wisdom to begin with. If it's not motivated by love for God and his word and love for your fellow man, for your brethren, and for your family, you can cause yourself a lot of heartache if you pursue it in the wrong way. I heard it said, you know, if 
if you're looking for the motivation to grow in knowledge and wisdom of the word, don't search within, search above. Don't be service or don't be self-centered, be service-centered. Pursuing godly wisdom with the wrong motive will rob you of the greatest blessings that that wisdom can afford you. And we're specifically talking about when it comes to conversing back and forth with that wisdom. I, I heard it said, it's, it's an old philosopher that said this, said, wise men speak because they have something to say, and foolish people speak because they want to say something. And I thought, that, that kind of hits me where it hurts, because I've been in that position quite a bit. Where all too often my greatest folly in searching for wisdom has been to validate myself in my own mind, because my own personal struggle has been lacking in knowledge and thinking that the more knowledge I get, well, the more confident that I can be and the better I can feel about myself. All the while forgetting that my confidence comes from the fact that I have the blood of Christ and that that word isn't there to benefit me in a way where my ego is puffed up because of how much I know. It's there for me to share with others, to bless others with that knowledge and to bless others with that word. And I miss that point if I don't start with that godly motive. A couple of quick ideas about godly motivations for pursuing wisdom. The first one is pursuing wisdom to grow closer to God and to receive his blessings. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So the word of God is what or excuse me, hearing comes by the word of God. Hearing produces faith, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. So when we read and when we understand and when we think about the things of God and we're desiring wisdom, are we doing it for the sake of pleasing God, for growing closer to him and growing in our faith, or are we doing it to grow in our faith in our own knowledge? Are we placing that trust in what we know and what we've learned, and is that where our confidence comes from? Solomon had a lot to say about the gifts of biblical wisdom and studentship in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, this is a little bit small, but bear with me here. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, earlier I mentioned that the pursuit of wisdom could make you a fool if it's not done properly. You know, the fool doesn't receive these gifts of understanding that Solomon talks about that comes from wisdom, and we won't receive it if we're not pursuing it with the right motive. Let's think about it for a moment, and let's just break down the passage. How can I know true wisdom and instruction if my goal is not to be shaped, or if my goal is not to be shaped by the wisdom and instruction of God? How can I perceive the words of understanding if I'm too busy worrying about how smart other people think I am? How can I receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity if I'm unteachable? How can I know subtlety or discretion, an increase in learning, and attain wise counsels, understand proverbs, and know the fear of the Lord unless my heart is pure from the start of the journey of wisdom? And that doesn't mean pure in the sense that I mean sinless, but 
pure in understanding what the godly motive for searching after wisdom is. If we're not doing it to grow closer to God, if we're not doing it for the right motives, then none of these things are going to come because we're going to be too focused on how unteachable or how smart we are compared to others or if we don't have that proper goal in mind. When you search for wisdom, you might think of it like climbing a mountain or hunting for food. You know, at the end of those particular things, there's, there's a noble goal in mind. And if you do it the right way, you're going to receive the blessings of those goals. But if you do it the wrong way, you're either going to fall off the mountain or you're going to get mauled by a bear, either one. If you pursue knowledge in the Word of God the improper way, it could end up cursing you more than it could ever bless you. Next thing is pursuing wisdom to build relationships with other Christians. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. And then Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So becoming a student actually helps everyone around you, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ, because you're able to edify one another with the wisdom that you gained. And if that's your goal, then you're going to gain great relationships out of that. You're going to consider one another to love and to provoke unto good works. I really appreciate what Callan said this morning about his relationship with Mitch and how they were able to talk about those things. And I was talking to him about that after, after the morning assembly, and to me, in my mind, and you can correct me if I'm wrong after this, but one of the greatest markers of a, of a true friendship, of a great friendship, and I'm not saying if you don't have this that that means your friendship is invalid, but what I'm saying is it's a valuable thing. If you can converse back and forth about serious things, about serious topics, especially about the Word of God, have disagreements, but still go home realizing that that friendship is intact and it's strong and that it's built upon conversing about the things that, are, that matter, about the wisdom of God, then that's a wonderful thing. And if we pursue wisdom with that in mind, our relationships are going to be stronger, and the church is going to be stronger for it. And it's amazing when it can happen generationally as well, between older generations and younger generations. When you see the old teaching the young, and when you see the young seeking out the wisdom of the old, and you see those relationships getting stronger because they're built on a desire to grow in knowledge together. It's not about who can be better than the other. It's not about uh, validating my confidence in what I know, but it's about growing in knowledge together, and that's valuable. But when it gets to the point of being a competition, that I must be better than brother so-and-so or farther along in knowledge than sister such-and-such, then I've robbed myself of every blessing, of every great relationship that pursuing wisdom can afford me. Because if I look to my left and if I look to my right and I see brothers and sisters that I can grow with in the knowledge of the word, that's a good thing. But if I'm farther ahead, if, I, if I'm in front of them and if my mindset is to get so far in front of them that I feel good about myself, then I'm not going to have any kind of relationship with them because I'm going to be so self-centered about those things. A few things that I've come to really appreciate when it comes to developing the right mindset about pursuing godly wisdom. There are just three things that I try to consider every time that I'm pursuing a type of godly wisdom. Number one is to spend time seeking the wisdom of older Christians. Because you can uplift them in doing so. It's not just about uplifting yourself. We talked about building relationships, but think about it like this. If you spend time seeking the wisdom of older Christians, you know what you're doing for them? 
You're giving them an opportunity to share that wisdom with you. And that uplifts them because they get an opportunity to teach what they've learned their whole life to you. And they get to outpour that love to you in that form. Secondly, if there's ever a lesson, you might converse with the speaker after the lesson. We're going to start that next year, not with me. But converse with speakers after lessons and talk about what they've talked about. You know, I'll, 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 brag, on, I'll brag, brag on Callan again about this, but after I preached on something in the Old Testament, uh, he brought up something to me that I had completely wrong, but it wasn't, hey, you got this wrong and you need to change that. It was in the form of a question. And I tell you, if you bombard me after a lesson with questions, man, my cup is full. I enjoy that kind of stuff, and I love that. And that shows that, that we're trying to pursue wisdom together, and that's a wonderful thing when we can do that. And then last, celebrate the growth and wisdom that others have and consider the opinions of others carefully. Because if you're too busy considering the growth and celebrating the growth of others in wisdom, you don't have time to think about where you lack in wisdom. You're too busy celebrating what others have achieved. And you're growing in knowledge all the while because you're not focused on where you might lack. Finally, I'd like for us to consider the importance of meditation when it comes to the pursuit of wisdom. We've nailed down that we need to cultivate a love for God's word and we need to pursue that wisdom in a godly manner. But how do we retain it? How do we keep it? How do we hide it in our heart so that it doesn't depart from us? You know, it's not simply just about studying. It's not about sitting in front of a computer screen for hours and hours on end. It's not about burying your head in a book or listening to a podcast or taking notes. It's so much more simple than that, and God's been communicating it to us for thousands of years since it was recorded in his word. Psalms 119 and 15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. A quick look at those definitions of those two words, meditate and contemplate. The two Hebrew words, Hebrew words are, are siach and nabat, and they basically mean to ponder, to converse with yourself. So if you have a habit of talking to yourself, you're already way ahead of the group here. But it also means to utter it, to scan, to look intently at, to regard with pleasure, with favor, and with care. The simple act of thinking about something causes it to take root. And, and I'm not trying to downplay the importance of studying, listening to podcasts, or sitting, sitting in front of a computer screen and typing out study notes or writing or any of that. I'm not trying to downplay any of that. But what I'm saying is that meditation plays a key role in our growth in wisdom. The word meditate, the word think, and, and similar words are used nearly a hundred times in our Bible. So it's important to you and me to meditate. It's important to us to take care of that duty that we've been given. And, and, you know, it's not this grandiose thing that has to be lighting incense and, and you know, sitting down and humming and, putting, and going into a, a dark place where there's no distractions. You can, you can meditate at any time. As long as you have the freedom to think, you can meditate. It's simply thinking about something intently, pondering it and conversing with yourself and regarding it throughout your day so that it may stay with you through future life. Let's go back to Psalms chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and recap this a little bit. A little bit deeper, Psalms chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth, he shall, pro or whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. 
So here we see meditation on a regular basis, day and night, produces blessings in this person's life. And I'd like for us to break down those blessings for just a moment. He says first, you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. But when I think about a tree that's planted by the rivers of water, I think of stability. I think of deep roots, and I think that I'm going to be blessed. Why? Because I've chosen to put myself in a place where I'm going to be blessed, where I'm going to be fed with what I need. So meditation gives us what we need when it comes to spiritual growth, like it gives, like the water gives the tree the ability to grow, because it's been planted there. Second thing, it brings forth fruit in his season. That, to me, communicates an attitude of almost predictability, but I'd rather use the word stability. It means because I've meditated on these things, because I've considered the Word of God, I make good decisions. I don't do things that are brash. I, I, think, I think before I make decisions. I look before I leap. And therefore, my life isn't, isn't as unstable as it could be had I not done those things. I've cultivated wisdom in my life, so that doesn't happen. And then finally, leaves not withering and prosperity. It's fairly self-explanatory, but life will be well in general. It doesn't mean that you won't suffer persecution. It doesn't mean that there won't be hardships. But in general, life will be well because you've applied yourself to wisdom. You'll make good decisions in business. You'll make wise decisions in light of spiritual growth. Meditation on godly wisdom produces great blessings in the life of a Christian, plain and simple. And we need to be about it more. Something else I thought about with meditation, and I noticed this as I started to meditate on certain things more. When I started to, if I was in the pickup on the way to work one day, I would just try to not have YouTube going in the background with random uh, random clips that I would listen to or not even an audiobook, not even a podcast. I would just try to shut it all off and just think for an hour. You want to talk about burning mental calories. That is tough, especially if you're not used to it. But I noticed the more that I thought about things, if that subject was ever brought up, I would talk about it with a lot more passion and with a lot more enthusiasm because I thought about it so much. If you're thinking about the Word of God throughout the day, whether it's for an hour, for 30 minutes, if you're contemplating the truth of Psalms 1, of Psalms 119, and that comes up in a conversation with somebody, you can now, because you've meditated and because you've pursued it in a godly manner and because you've cultivated a love for the Word, you can now share it in a way that shows great enthusiasm. And that great enthusiasm now blesses other people because they're encouraged by the enthusiasm. And that cycle begins again and again, all because we made the choice to meditate on the Word of God. And we chose to make that important. But in the society that we live in today, I was talking about how hard it was for me to meditate for an hour or for, to, to think about something for an hour intently. It's because we live in a society that has done a really good job at making us feel very uncomfortable with our own thoughts. You know, we're not allowed to take time to think. There's always some kind of stimuli that's being thrown our way. YouTube, Hulu, Netflix, commercials, Facebook, emails from things I never even subscribed to. But when we're talking about something, I'll get an email about the thing we were talking about, and we can go off on that at another time. But we're, we're bombarded with distractions all the time, and we don't get the opportunity to just sit there and contemplate something else. I was talking with Rolf a while back, and, and me and him, we were talking about uh, 
I can't remember exactly what it was. Oh, it was the, it was the difference between how, how men and women think, and you can imagine what kind of trouble we got into with that kind of conversation. But at one point in the conversation, he said, you know, Shasta looked over him at one day while they were riding together in the pickup or when they were sitting down and looked at him and said, what are you thinking about? And he said, nothing. And she was just baffled that somebody could think about nothing. And, you know, that just goes to show you, I'm not criticizing, criticizing Rolf because I do that too. I can sometimes think about nothing, but I've thought about that and thought about how much time I've either wasted thinking about nothing or how much time I've wasted having my mind pumped with useless garbage. And, you know, it takes about just as much mental energy to pull your mind out of thinking about nothing to think about things that matter as it does to pull your mind about thinking about things that don't matter to think about things that do. And what that does for us, meditation, it gives us a working reference of scriptural knowledge that allows us to interpret worldly wisdom. If we're thinking on these things constantly, then we can interpret things that come in from the world through a biblical lens because we've thought about it. And we have a working framework of biblical knowledge to pull from. So it's no longer me thinking, well, you know, the Bible, I think, says this in this particular location about this particular subject, and, and our faith isn't built on sand when that's the case. We can build it on a strong foundation of a working framework of God's Word. A couple things I'd like to share with you before we close about building a strong habit of meditation in your life. Number one, Meditate frequently and even in less than ideal conditions. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. And thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You know, I think about who Joshua was and what he was involved in at the time, and I think about this command that he was given to meditate and to think about God's word. I don't know how much time Joshua was afforded to, to actually sit down and think quietly. But I would imagine maybe between conquests, in the chariot, on horseback, on the march, I would imagine he probably took time to think about God and to think about truth and to think about what it meant to him and his family. So if there's a moment in your life where you just can't get time to, to be to yourself, to have a quiet moment to think, practice thinking when it's not quiet. You'll become all that much more focused when it finally is quiet. 1 Timothy 4.15 says, Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. This comes towards the end of the letter of 1 Timothy, uh, given from Paul to Timothy after he's told them all these truths, and he says, at the end of all that, meditate and think upon these things. So the second point I'd like to make is, right after you've heard something that's of use, that's biblical wisdom, something that's, that's meaningful to you, Think about it. Make it your own. Take time to meditate on it after the, the moment that you're done listening to it. Because right then and there, the thought is, is as strong as it's ever going to be. And if you take time to think about it and reproduce it in your own words, I found this helps me a lot. If you reproduce it in your own words, then it's never going to go away. If you reword something that somebody else said and take time to produce it that way in your own mind, you're never going to forget it. And you're always going to have that wisdom with you. Then finally, don't get too caught up in pondering the deep things of, of Scripture, but take time to meditate on the simple truths of God's Word. I'm not saying discount the deep truths. I'm not saying discount the more meatier topics. That's not what I'm saying. But 
Take time to contemplate the simple things. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good rapport, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, I look at all those things, and those are all fairly simple to me. I don't look at any of those and think that I'm going to get a headache thinking about honesty, about justice, purity, love, good rapport, virtue. I, I don't think that those things would really you know, cause me to have an existential crisis or anything like that. I, I think about those, and those are good things, but they're simple, pure truths. And I don't, as one of my favorite sayings, I don't get into the weeds of, of the things that you know, get me lost and get me frustrated because I can't understand them, but I'm contemplating simple things, and those simple things are getting deeper and deeper and deeper rooted into my mind so that I can build my foundation of faith on those things in the future. You know, I, I thought about this too. If you think about it, all the, all the great wisdom that you can think about that's worldly wisdom, whether it's philosophy or, or whatever, whether it was Homer, Sophocles, Socrates, Aristotle, Thomas Aquinas, whoever you might think of to be these really smart people that have existed in history, they all spent a lot of time thinking about really simple stuff. And I've got a theory about this. I think they thought about simple stuff long enough to the point where it became complicated enough to put it in a book to where when we would read it, we would read it to the point where we found out how simple it was and it's all just a big old circle. So the point is, just meditate on the simple things and, and, and grow that knowledge and that desire for the simple wisdom of God. If you're here today and you've been thinking and you've been meditating and you've been contemplating on what you need to do to become a Christian, there's no greater time than right now. You have an opportunity to become a child of God, to be baptized and to have your sins washed away. If you've been sufficiently taught and you're ready to do that, we would invite you to come. Or if you have a need that the church can fulfill through prayer, through comfort, through anything that we can do to help you, we'd ask you to make either need known by sitting on the front pew while we stand and sing the song of invitation.